Something came over me on my drive home. I'm barely awake. Hmm. Podcast will pep you up. Good morning and welcome to episode 314 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh. Ben, how are you? I had a better day than the Cardinals. Because you didn't lose a World Series game. No. I did, did probably you, commit, did you, commit a few errors along the way. but did You didn't play in a World Series game, though. I didn't. That's true. Good point. All things, all things, all things considered, I would say your day sucked compared <laughs> to the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. Really, basically, a tragically bad day on your end. That's a valid way to look at it. Um, so I don't know what you want to talk about with Game One, but I have an idea mm. which we haven't talked about. But I, I watched the game. You watched the game as well. Mm-hmm. I watched the game with no sound. I was in a in a room with no sound. So um, I watched all the TV coverage of it. I assume you heard words being said as well. Uh, there were words going into my ears. I guess I don't know that I was paying that close attention. Maybe I was. Okay, I'm just curious to I'm just curious to discover whether our perceptions of the game um, differ at all, given okay. that we watched it in slightly slightly different ways. Uh-huh. Uh, so I just thought maybe we could go over a few of the key moments of the game sure, and and see what your impressions were and see what my impressions were and see if they diverge at all. They, they probably won't. Okay. You and I tend to agree on those things. Yes, it's a problem. Um, yeah, I, I guess. I don't know. We don't get complaints. Yeah, not there really. are no There are no iTunes reviews, so far <laughs> as I can tell, saying, these guys agree too much. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So... All right, so uh, so let's let's just let's just do a few, and then we'll we'll move on with our lives. Um, so Adam Wainwright uh, had like basically maybe I don't know maybe his worst game of the year by by one way of looking at it, mm-hmm. uh, at, at least in in length, um, in duration. Mm-hmm. Um, did Adam Wainwright look good to you, bad to you, or somewhere in between? Uh, it sort of reminded me a little bit of the Clayton Kershaw start. In, in game six of the NLCS where I didn't think he looked great. I didn't think he looked like super sharp or anything, but I didn't think he was a complete mess. It was kind of mm-hmm. a kind of one of those cases where it's hard to separate what he did from what the team did behind him and, and also what he did with the pop-up, uh, which you can you could blame him for. But just the 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 mistakes that were made defensively and and then sort of some stuff that like almost snowballed because of the defensive mistakes where I don't know like there was that play where I think it was there was a, a hit by Ross that like just went over Carpenter's glove because he was yeah. he was playing at double play depth because of right. whatever happened right before that and there was a guy on first and and that sort of thing just it it kind of all compounded itself I, I don't know I mean he I wasn't impressed I wasn't appalled by his actual pitching yeah the thing that was going through my head was actually your write-up of the Kershaw start of how yes. how close it how close it could have been to being a good outing um I mean as far as I could tell he basically he gave up you know two or three hard hit balls mm-hmm. um the sack fly was hard hit and you could argue you could very easily argue that he got lucky that that could have, you know, a few inches away from being, you know, a home run, a, mm-hmm. a grand slam, 
And so, you know, he, he could have been much worse. But that was a hard-hit ball. Napoli's, uh, Napoli's double was a hard-hit ball. And, and, and Pedroia's single, I guess, was hard-hit. But you could name, like, five balls where runners reached that were, you know, no fault of his own. And, and if not should have been played, definitely could have been played. Mm-hmm. Uh, and probably should have been played. The pop-up that he didn't catch should have been played. Uh, the, 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 Cos- the two Cosma airs mm-hmm. should have been played. The grounder just past freeze should have been yep. played or, or could have been played. And, and then, yeah, like you said, the uh, David Ross's single could have been should, could have been played. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, but on the other hand, he was, uh, you know, he was not getting ahead in counts. He was having to work hard. Um, he, you know, didn't seem to have like pristine control or command. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't a particularly impressive outing. Yeah. When we talked with Zachary about whether the whether Boston's patient approach would play right into the Cardinals' hands because their yeah. their command and control is so great that Boston would just, you know, take strike one, take strike two, they'd be behind in the count all the time. That didn't really yeah. happen. So it's yeah, it's the opposite. And that's one of the things that I think I don't I don't know that people really I might be wrong about this, but I don't think people appreciate that guys who throw a lot of strikes don't actually throw a lot of pitches in the strike zone usually. Like most pitchers don't throw a lot of pitches in the strike zone. Like a lot of pitches aren't in the strike zone. And and strike throwers oftentimes they throw more in the zone than, than most pitchers, but oftentimes they get strikes because they're getting you to chase. They're they're getting a lot of swings, mm-hmm. and um, I don't know what Wainwright's zone rate is, mm-hmm. um, but he throws a lot of pitches outside the strike zone, and he does rely on hitters to uh, to to chase a little, to expand just a little. And so you could just as easily probably say that the Cardinals' approach uh, gets uh, neutralized somewhat by an extremely patient team, and maybe that's what happened today. That the mm-hmm. Red Sox were extremely. Uh, extremely choosy, mm-hmm. and they they did a great job. Yeah, you could say that. Um, you alluded to the well. We both alluded. I, we both didn't allude. We referred specifically to the pop up in front of Wainwright. What was the deal with that? Is I I just saw a ball land in front of them, and then I saw a replay of a ball landing in front of him, mm-hmm. and then I saw one more replay of the ball landing in front of him. Was there any insight into like why that ball landed in front of him? Uh, no, not really. Not on the broadcast. I'm, I'm sure someone must have asked him about it after the game. I haven't seen a quote, but uh, no, it was it was kind of strange because it, it was like, it was one of those rare cases where it is the pitcher's ball pretty pretty conclusively. Like it, it didn't really hang up long enough for, for anyone to get there. It would have been a tough play for Molina. And it seemed like he was calling for it or he put his arms out as if he was signaling that he was going to catch it or attempt to catch it and then he just didn't so no i don't i don't know any more than than you did not hearing the the broadcast on on that play that was kind of a weird one is it conceivable that he was waving everybody away so Molina could catch it <laughs> everybody stay away Molina's got this one <laughs> maybe he should probably work on his signaling if so. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Pete Cosma. So uh, Pete Cosma had a rough NLCS last year. Uh, normally sure-handed Pete Cosma had a rough NLCS last year. He had an extremely rough game one today. And the gentleman I was watching the game with predicted at that point that Pete Cosma would be this year's Brooks Conrad, <laughs> uh, that he would just melt down and that the Cardinals would watch this complete utter disaster happen 
at shortstop. He has actually uh, gone on the record uh, between he and I as predicting that Pete Cosmo will make three more errors in this postseason. Cosmo uh, handled the rest of the game uh, uh, adequately Mm -hmm. from that point on. But uh, do you uh, do, did you get a sense from watching this broadcast that uh, that Pete Cosma is a uh, house of cards that is in mid collapse? <laughs> uh, it was it was easy to read into that and and say that there were some sort of jitters going on there, either with him or other guys in the early innings. There, I I, I don't know when I get that impression from watching a team, I pretty much ignore it and assume that I'm just. I'm just reading too much into it. So I don't know. I, I, I thought it was um, it was it was curious that it was him. There was a lot of like Buck and McCarver were talking a lot about how this was atypical of this Cardinals team and you don't expect them to look so sloppy and everything. And and that's true in a sense that that the Cardinals don't commit a lot of errors. They they actually committed the fourth fewest errors in in the majors this year. So that was out of character for them, but the the defensive struggles were not. Um, and I w- I did so many so much previewing of this World Series in various places that I don't remember what what we talked about. But but if you wanted to find a weakness somewhere in this series, it it probably would have been the Cardinals' uh, defense. In that, I mean, they were kind of near the bottom at at any defensive leaderboard you you want to look at. If if you want to look at like a a team thing, park park adjusted defensive efficiency, they were 26th in that. If you want to look at team UZR, they were 27th in that. Or DRS and defensive efficiency, they were like 22nd, 21st. So it it was not their strength. I guess uh, I guess they're one of those teams that's sort of sure-handed but doesn't get to a lot of balls typically. And so this was this was an anomaly in that sense. Um, but you. I don't know, you kind of expect, like, with all the talk about the Cardinals' way and, and winning the right way and all that all that stuff, that, that they would be a sound defensive team, uh, which isn't really the case. But but Cosma is, is pretty much the last guy, other than Molina. Cosma would be the last guy that you'd expect to have a really bad defensive game. Um, so that was, that was kind of strange to see. You'd expect... You'd expect Freeze not to look very good, and he didn't, and that wasn't surprising. But uh, yeah, it was it was weird, I guess, to see Cosmo. I mean, that's that is why he's playing. He's certainly not playing because he can hit. I I didn't realize that the Cardinals had a bad defense. Yeah, actually, not so. I, I mean, I don't I don't think of any individual players mm-hmm. as as being bad at defense, and there's really only Carpenter is kind of out of position in any mm-hmm. in any way. Um, so that surprises me. Yeah. The Reds, I, I mean, I, maybe one of the reasons why it wasn't discussed that much is that like, they're not the Tigers and the Red Sox aren't really that much better. So it, it's not like it was a huge edge for Boston or anything, but, um, they don't, they don't rate well. And I guess maybe it's more an absence of players who rate really well. And then I think Freeze and, and Beltron didn't have great defensive seasons or, you know, if you want to put much faith in, in a season of defensive stats, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's kind of their MO, but except for the, the making errors part. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, so Cosmos first air was very nearly a, uh, 
an almost historically bad call by the umpire. Mm-hmm. Um, I, as I noted, didn't get to hear what they said about it. I did get to see 85 replays <laughs> yeah. of it. Um, but uh, such a bad call by Tana DeMuth. Like, yeah. such a bad call. Yeah, it's, uh, it's weird. Like, I, like, I don't want to make too much of it because it was overturned and it was good that they huddled up and talked about it and everything. But, like, you watch it and you just wonder how how he made that call because he was in perfect position. He was staring right at the play. Staring right at it, yeah. <laughs> like, like I, my favorite was the slow motion replay that showed his face. And it did not, the replay cut out before he made his call. But it was like, you know, since it was slow motion, it was like a 20 second replay that just showed him watching the play and not moving. And like just staring at it, like thinking, well, what do I do now? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I feel the thing about that call is um, that I sometimes find it to be, I don't know, maybe a, a little distasteful. And I, I mean, I've certainly been there, so I'm not I'm not like judging anybody, but a little distasteful how like kind of um, insulting people get to the umpires, like as though the umpires are trying to get the call wrong or not trying to get the call right. And I, I feel like this call just there's Demuth has no incentive to get it wrong. Like there's there's not one shred of incentive for him to not get this right. Mm-hmm. He didn't do anything wrong in the process, and it wasn't a difficult call. Mm-hmm. And he still got it like gloriously wrong. <laughs> and it just makes you think that like I mean you know you ha- it reminds you that we're horribly flawed as a species, and that the game happens so fast. You know the, mm-hmm. these things happen so fast, and and even if you're trying to do it right you still get it wrong which is the is the argument for replay i mean the argument mm-hmm. for replay is is inherently not an anti-umpire position it's kind of just like an anti-human position yes, it's like a, right a, it's just an awareness that we all suck mm-hmm. like we're all we're all terrible yes and demuth god bless him he is also <laughs> terrible he is so, he i guarantee you dana demuth is better at his job than i am mm-hmm. and he's probably at least as at least close to as good at, at his job as you are and he's terrible like he's just terrible at it this is such a bad call with no excuse whatsoever yeah uh it's it's perplexing i mean it and uh, the other five umpires they played they played a little audio of like hirschbeck talking to Matheny. And Matheny sounding really whiny, actually. Um, and Hirschbeck being like, well, you know, Demuth, he sucks. <laughs> yeah, they cut out that part, but they left the part where he was like, the five of us, referring to the, the non-Demuth umpires, saw it very clearly that way as, as not a catch. Um, and yeah, you wonder, the other five umpires looking at it from all over the field saw what what we saw, and the guy just stationed right in front whose job it was to see it and who was paying the most attention of probably anyone in the ballpark at that point just got it spectacularly wrong at I don't know. Yeah, can can you imagine being like a manager or a pundit in like 1930, where replay is like something in like the sci-fi future? You can't even imagine it yet, mm-hmm. and trying to figure out what to do about those horrible umpires. Like, what is the solution to this call? <laughs> there is no solution to Dana Demuth being unable to call the most obvious thing right in front of him. Mm-hmm. Like, you would like, there's nothing. Like, what are you gonna do? Like, do better. Like, that's all you can do is just tell him. Like, try to do better next time. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. horrible. I don't know. 
<laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, you know, this won't happen next year, I guess. I, it didn't happen this year, but mm-hmm. um, uh, I guess it, it will never happen again. This will, This is our last... <laughs> chance well i guess we didn't even get the chance uh were you surprised that they overturned it i mean this is not a call that typically gets overturned yeah that was that was what like buck was saying and then rosenthal interviewed tory and asked him that question and he sort of said no it wasn't that unusual which it seems pretty unusual i mean i guess how often does does that particular call happen i i I don't know i mean i but bad calls happen. I mean, yes. like obvi- like calls that seem wrong immediately happen. Yeah. Like there are there are calls at first base that we all know are wrong in real time, mm-hmm. and they, they don't they don't ever get overturned. This was this was no really no different than that, was it? No. And Tori actually said something interesting, which I didn't really realize. He he mentioned the fact that people often get frustrated when umpires don't huddle, uh, and they and they wonder like why not just get together and talk about it. He said that. If, if a crew doesn't huddle, it doesn't mean that they're just stubborn or something. It means that they've kind of already communicated to each other that they don't want to overturn the play. Like, he said that, and I didn't really notice this, but he said, like, as, as Farrell came out, like, the, the crew was kind of converging already, like, signaling each other almost that, that they wanted to talk about it. Whereas if you... If they don't want to go against the original call, then they'll just stay at their positions and they won't even make a move to talk to each other. And that's kind of how they they know that they don't need to talk. Um, But uh, yeah, I don't know. But the whole thing kind of, I thought, uh, seemed like a pretty good endorsement of, of the replay process, I thought, because it felt like it took forever. And I went... I. I, I rewound to see how long it actually was, and apparently it, it was only like five minutes, like five solid full minutes from the time the play was made to the next pitch, which it seemed a lot longer because there were just like 10 replays in that time. But uh, 85, 85 <laughs> replays. Okay. Um, but you figure probably could have been resolved even more quickly. Well, I, I don't know, not necessarily, but, but it. People often say with replay, it's going to slow the game down. Umpires are going to have to leave the field and go look at their little video screen and everything. If you cut out the time that that Farrell was was arguing and Matheny was arguing and then the umpires were huddling and all of that stuff with the 85 replays going on, uh, probably you could have just watched a replay and, and decided it as quickly or, or more quickly. There was a lot of controversy over the neighborhood play in a previous series um, because, you know, the neighborhood play was seen to be called too generously. Mm-hmm. And I wondered... Happened in two series, it, I think, although I guess it only mattered once, maybe. I wondered whether this was an extension of that kind of idea. Like, if this had been... Like, if this was just sort of a a, 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 a tendency for umpires to be a little too generous to the guy... Uh, turning a double play mm-hmm. for his own safety you know like clearly he didn't catch it i mean obviously but if maybe there's a a bias toward giving the fielder a little bit of extra credit when a runner's bearing down on you for his own safety yeah uh, well, who was it was it pedroia sliding yeah it was pedroia sliding and he wasn't like right on top of him he was kind of a, a decent distance away and i don't know he's not a big guy at He's short. He is. Yeah, I noticed that when I was watching the game. Um, <laughs> so, 
yeah, I don't know. Maybe it had something to do with that, but he must have thought that there was actually a catch made there somehow. Yeah. All right. Uh, so Carlos Beltran made a fantastic catch. Yeah. Uh, and um, it struck me as being a particularly fantastic catch. Uh, what did you think of the catch? <laughs> I thought so too. It, it looked very, very smooth, very nonchalant. Um, but it was it was impressive. I mean, he reached a, a pretty fair distance over the fence to get it, and the fact that he was crashing into the wall at the same time and still managed to to glove it and and hold on was was pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't have much to say besides that. <laughs> yeah. You think you think uh, they should they should do something about that wall? I like that wall. Like it was a it was that was discussed a lot on the broadcast, and they showed clips of other people running into that wall and not really noticing that it's there because it's so low that I guess it's not in your peripheral vision in the way that most walls would be. Um, and so you just kind of you're going back and you're tracking the ball and then all of a sudden you your your waist basically slams into this wall uh i like that the wall is so low because it's kind of cool when there's when there's a catch like that or an attempt like tory hunters in the previous series um but i guess it's it's somewhat dangerous I tend not to like short walls aesthetically. I, I find that the home run robberies in short walls are not are not interesting. Hmm. Uh, I I like a, I like a larger wall. I like a little bit more. If you're going to steal a home run to me, it should be a little harder. And if you're going to hit a home run, I guess it should be a little harder. It is. I don't. This is probably not going to go anywhere. I'm just going to talk for a little bit and then give up. But it is kind of interesting how. The, the wall is the dangerous thing in this situation, right? Like, like the wall is what is dangerous, and yet the solution is having more wall. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's kind of weird. Like, it's a weird sort of paradox about matter and, and non-matter. <laughs> yes. Like, it's actually the absence of matter that makes it dangerous, and yet it, it's like a U-curve, right? <laughs> Where, like, it becomes, like, like, more dangerous, more dangerous, more dangerous, and then less dangerous. It mm-hmm. tops out and then becomes less dangerous. Like, if there was a green monster out there, it would have been less dangerous. But if it had been, like, like a foot, then mm-hmm. <laughs> Beltron would have tripped and then <laughs> gone, like, right over his head. Yeah. Uh, so it, all right. it's nice that the the x-rays were, were negative, apparently, uh, because it, I don't know, when he was removed from the game with, like, a rib thing, it, it sort of seemed like like Hanley getting hurt in the same area in the first game of a series again and then having that kind of hang over the whole series. So seems like hopefully it, it's not as, as serious uh, and that he'll be able to, to continue to play. All right, and then the rest of the game was exceptionally boring. Uh, did you have anything else that you wanted to, to share subjective experiences about? Uh not really. Did were you would you have would you have tried to take Wainwright out earlier? The interesting thing about the Wainwright thing is how how the uh, the the rationale for it switched once we knew the outcome. Like it, initially, it was like, oh, should they take him out? He's getting you know he's getting hit hard. Is it you know can they afford to leave him in there? Which I think is usually a pretty. I think that's usually a bad um, you know a, a bad line of reasoning. I mean Wainwright, and you see this a ton, and you forget the the times that this happens, but. Wainwright settled down. He's a good pitcher. He wasn't pitching that badly, and he settled down and he gave him a few really good innings. He was still 
their best option that early in the game. And mm-hmm. people, I think people tend to overreact to the first, you know, inning or two, uh, particularly, um, you know, the first inning probably. Um, and they want to pull the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the rationale changed later on when, when you start thinking, well, geez, maybe they should have taken Wainwright out early so he could have come back early in the series. Mm-hmm. So it's two, two different ideas. One is do you take Wainwright out because he sucks? And then the second is do you take Wainwright out because he's actually really good and you're wasting his his bullets in a game that's probably decided. I don't think five nothing is decided enough. I, I don't think a mm-hmm. I don't think a team should be punting down five nothing in the third. So mm-hmm. no, I, I, I see the rationale for it, but I would have kept him in for quality purposes. And I would have kept him in uh, even for leverage purposes at that point. So I, I don't have a problem keeping him out there. Johnny Gomes made a, a nice catch. It's funny. He, he made a nice catch and then he uh, immediately after that made an error. Um, as I was thinking about it because we were talking about how how the rationale and how Zach told us that the rationale for, for leaving him in there, at least the... The stated rationale for starting him was was that he was a good base runner, which you found to be true, and also maybe a good defensive player, which doesn't seem to be true at all. He made a he made a, a pretty nice diving catch uh, later later in the game. I forget which which inning or hitter it was. And then again, it's it's left field at Fenway, so he doesn't have to cover that much ground there. But um, he went 0 for 3, and I assume he will. And and Nava got a hit when he pinch hit, uh, but I assume that we'll keep seeing Gomes. I guess it's like a, I guess it's like the managerial equivalent of like when you're sitting in a certain chair or a certain position when your team does something good and you superstitiously don't move for the rest yeah. of the game. Um, right, they're like what seven and 0 now when Gomes yeah Gomes plays yeah. Uh, so, uh, along those lines, um, I, I wonder whether, I wonder whether Farrell has, has made up his mind about the Ortiz Napoli decision, or if he's just waiting, like if he's still sort of collecting little scraps of data mm-hmm. and, and like he'll decide after, you know, game two based on, you know, whatever he's seen. I, I, I my guess is that he's, you know, the Red Sox are probably have taken more information than, than, than that into account and have probably already planned it out but mm-hmm. do you think that i mean ortiz hit a home run and a half <laughs> yep. uh today but napoli you know had the big had the big double mm-hmm. do you think that um that anything that happens in the next game will affect that and do you think anything that happened today will affect that uh short of one of them getting hurt and being unable to play probably not i I would have been surprised before tonight if if Ortiz had not started those games. It just, I don't know. It seems like, uh, I mean, he's kind of the the face of the he's team Ortiz. and everything, right? And yeah, if Gomes gets to play for for you know for being Johnny Gomes, <laughs> yeah, then it seems like David Ortiz will get to play for being David Ortiz, right? Plus, it, it's like the opposite of that of the Gomes Nava thing, and that. Uh, Ortiz will have the platoon advantage because the Cardinals only have righty starters, so you you could start Ortiz and he'll have the platoon advantage and he he'll he'll crush the the right-handed pitcher and then if you want you can put Napoli in later in the game like if 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 Matheny brings in Segrist or Cho or someone to face Ortiz then you could pinch hit Napoli and maybe get a good matchup there and also a, a defensive upgrade later in the game so. It's uh, it it seems like a pretty clear cut decision to me. 
Yeah, unless he's like a unless he's the, the worst defensive first baseman. In, yeah, unless he's in baseball, which Amador is not out there. totally inconceivable. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell me what happened in the Dennis Rodman commercial? Nope. Okay, De- there was a Dennis Rodman is apparently uh, in a pistachio commercial huh. with uh, somebody who is imitating the uh, premiere of North Korea, uh, and I wasn't able to make out much more than that. Dennis Rodman exploded. It doesn't ring a bell. Wasn't Dennis Rodman in Korea? Like the real Korea? He was. Yeah, like uh, making kissy faces with the premiere of North Korea. Yeah. That, that's why I'm curious. It was it was odd. It, he's, I, I don't know. I guess I'll go to YouTube. Huh. Um, all right. So I guess that's it. I think probably the most important thing that happened in this game is that America learned uh, that Shane Robinson is Caucasian. <laughs> I think, I think America America probably didn't realize that. I learned that in the NLCS, but yeah. It, it is now known. Uh-huh. Uh, so uh, so that's it. By the way, you, you, asked about, you asked about Wainwright's zone rate, or you amused about it. Uh, he is, out of the 150 pitchers with uh, 1,500 pitches thrown this season, he was the 65th highest zone rate. So he's oh, yeah, pretty no, much in the middle. He's definitely the highest, but, but what is he, like 53%? Uh, 50.7%. So there you go. Half his pitches are not in the zone. So yeah. that's that's my point. My point is that even a strike thrower like Wainwright is lives you know often outside the zone. So that's, that is exactly the point I was making. Have you seen the Chevy ad where the guy says it's a, she- it's a Chevy Silverado ad, and at the end the guy says the Silverado is second to nobody, and by nobody, I mean Ram and Ford, which to me means that it's second to Ram and Ford. <laughs> that's right? A, that's, that's a good point. That is a that very is, good point. That's exactly what it means. I mean, <laughs> I, every time I see that, I, I kind of listen again to see if I'm mishearing it, but I'm, I'm not. That is what he says. That is what he says. Oh. That's exactly what he says. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm not crazy then. All right. So uh, anyway, we we talked about how the the Cardinals don't hit lefties, right? Or I talked about it somewhere. They're not a good team at hitting lefties. And so you figure if Boston was going to have the best chance against them in any game, it would be probably game one at home with Lester pitching. Uh, So not a not a huge shocker that they lost, though. It was more lopsided than you would have guessed with Wainwright. But anyway, many, many more games to go. A few more games to go. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, we'll be back to talk about them.